darkest before the dawn. A Good Omens Fic, written by Phoenix Saw, read by Literarian. Chapter 5 My One and Only A certain characteristic of Aziraphale that Crowley has found hard to miss over the millennia is that, despite his general intelligence and wit, he is too damn naive and nice to humans. Humans that don't necessarily return the courtesy. On one occasion, Crowley had to step in to prevent a bunch of villagers from burning Aziraphale at the stake all because the angel simply couldn't help himself from healing their sick despite their rising suspicion and superstitions. Another memorable encounter involved Crowley, who had been leading a band of highwaymen, saving Aziraphale from his own villains when they encountered him on a deserted country road. Aziraphale had tried to negotiate with sword-wielding brigands using kind reprimands instead of a damn miracle. After every incident, Crowley rounds on Aziraphale with exasperation, while the latter stubbornly maintains his stance on teaching kindness through example. They bicker and argue and fight, but eventually the rescues always pay off anyway, because the angel never fails to thank Crowley. And he thanks Crowley well, so well that when they curl around each other later, sweaty and satisfied, Crowley doesn't really mind having to save Aziraphale's ass from whatever new trouble it lands in. Perhaps he ought to have considered a bit earlier that Aziraphale's tendency to attract danger would eventually compromise him as well. He learns his lesson after the frankly ludicrous circumstances that land Aziraphale a date with the guillotine in revolutionary France. Crowley is filled with disbelief when he finds the angel in the Bastille, but Aziraphale acts all cute and coy about it. He rolls his eyes and sets Aziraphale free because, well, he'd rather not condemn him to decades of paperwork in heaven, leaving Crowley to grow bored down on earth. The same reason why Crowley had helped Aziraphale out of all his previous scrapes, he's told himself. Aziraphale offers to treat him to lunch, but Crowley pays the bill anyway, which has the angel staring at him with smouldering eyes. Crowley looks back with amusement, already knowing where this is going. He books a room at a lodge where they can wait for the next ship back to England, but they don't even make it inside before Aziraphale presses him against the door. He tastes like strawberries and cream and the expensive wine Crowley had ordered with their crepes. Moaning into his mouth, Aziraphale grinds their hips together, rubbing the bulging evidence of his arousal against him. I thought you'd already thanked me with lunch, Crowley teases as the angel presses closer. I did. 
Aziraphale whispers between wet, hungry kisses. Now I must thank you for paying for lunch. Crowley chuckles, digging his hands into Aziraphale's arse to rub their clothed cocks harder together. You're spoiled, sweetheart. <laughs> you spoil me. Aziraphale says breathily, his voice breaking with desire and need. And now I'm going to spoil you in that bed, darling. You've been so good to me. Too aroused to say anything else, Crowley miracles the door to their room open, unwilling to take his hands off Aziraphale even once. Later on the bed, he has Aziraphale nude and undulating in his lap when he finally smells it. A subtle odour of hellfire and brimstone. It's growing stronger, and Crowley realises, with chilling shock, that the smell must have been around for a while. He's just been too occupied with Aziraphale to immediately pick up on it. Acting on instinct, Crowley stops time with Aziraphale caught in it. He slides the naked angel off his lap and onto the bed. After swiftly covering him with the blankets, Crowley hurries out of the room, snapping his half-undone clothes back into place. The source of the odour is waiting for him outside the building, unaffected by the time stop. Crowley had made sure of that. Hasta. It is by far one of his worst experiences with hell. And by definition, there is none that's not bad down there. Crowley is summoned to the throne room, where he is icily informed by Beelzebub, in the presence of Dagon, Huster, Ligger, and the uncomfortable-looking junior demon that his fraternizing with the enemy has, at last, come to light. The junior demon is made to step forward. Scratching at his dual-hair horns, he awkwardly reveals that he has been deployed on and off to keep an eye on infernal movements and field agents on Earth. He'd seen Crowley leave the Bastille with Aziraphale, his traitorous saving of an angel of heaven implicit. Under the dangerous glare of his superiors, Crowley tenses for a moment, feeling strangely caught but then he remembers himself. The Principality Aziraphale, he drawls, relaxing back into a careless slouch. Yeah, I'm fucking him. There is a ripple of shock across the room. Yep, he's the other side's representative on Earth. I've been seducing him for a long time now. Why? Dagon begins to bluster, looking torn between disgust and confusion. I get him to give up information on what Heaven is up to and his assignments. Then I go out and do my whiling. 
Crowley gives a careless shrug. Makes it easier to fuck up upstairs work. The murderous looks are beginning to dissipate, replaced with grudging appreciation and curiosity. Except for Huster. And he gives you all this information willingly? He asks dubiously, narrowing his cold black eyes. Fucking angel, right? And you can get him to sing anything. Crowley smirks to titillating laughter. He's completely infatuated, and I keep tabs on him. But why in the blessed heavens would you save him from this corporation? Huster snaps. At that, there is a murmur of assent from the other demons. Because I don't want to deal with any replacements. Imagine, I already got this one in my thrall, and now I gotta go stick my dick in another? Besides, Crowley adds, deciding to go all in, he might even properly fall for me. It's almost comical how far the bad pun goes in turning the situation in his favour. Crowley tries to hide his relief when Beelzebub, Dagon and even Ligger finally look properly impressed, snickering loudly. Bet on you, Crowley, the Prince of Hell praises with reluctant respect. Crowley gives a feral grin. Always trying my worst, Lord. He is itching to leave, but to his surprise, Huster insists on escorting him back to one of the earth portals. They've barely arrived when the Duke abruptly turns on him. Do you expect us to believe the Principality is really nothing more than your feathered little sluts? Crowley stops in his tracks, raising an insolent brow. What's that supposed to mean? I mean, Crawley, is he not your dear sweetheart? For a moment, Crowley can't speak. Huster's lips peel back in an ugly leer. That's right, Crawley. Eric followed you from the Bastille to your room. He reported it all to me first. How he saw you kissing and giggling together like lovesick humans. He takes a menacing step forward. Are you sure you're only fucking the wanker, darling? Crowley suppresses a shudder at the bastardization of that endearment on Huster's slimy tongue. He couldn't have sounded more different from Aziraphale. Do you really think an angel will stick around if he thinks it's only sex? He hisses, lips curling in a snarl. He wants to be lovers and I invest all the fucking intimacy he wants. So yes, Duke, I kiss him. I laugh with him. I call him mine. Huster draws away, his eyes like empty voids. Whatever you say, Crawley. Crowley sneers contemptuously at him. 
at the end of the day, I have a direct look into heaven's doings and a warm body to fuck. More than can be said for you, eh? With that, he spins on his heel and steps into the portal. Upon arriving at their rented room, Crowley snaps off a miracle to return to his previous state of undress, eases Aziraphale back into his lap and resumes their kiss before starting up time again. He doesn't say a word about his visit below. Aziraphale pins him down onto the mattress and divests him of his clothes. My hero he smiles, only half teasing, before he sinks down on Crowley's cock with a low moan. Crowley lies back and lets him do as he pleases, frantically thinking. I need insurance. Crowley considers his options for decades. When it comes right down to it, there are only two things that can actually destroy a demon. A weapon forged and blessed in heaven itself, or the closest man-made equivalent. He longingly thinks about the flaming sword Aziraphale used to wield, lost from human hands to the sands of time. There isn't a chance in heaven that he can creep into upstairs armory to steal another. Crowley is desperate, not suicidal. That leaves just the one option, really. He thinks he's making the right call by asking Aziraphale. Not only can the angel simply waltz into a church to acquire holy water or bless some himself, but it doesn't occur to Crowley that he may refuse. Never before has he asked any material object of Aziraphale after all. And this, in particular, is incredibly important to him. He has made that clear. And yet, there it is. Aziraphale, for the first time in as long as Crowley can remember, says no. Crowley blinks, trying to wrap his mind around it. The situation becomes hideous and fast. I'm asking you for just one thing. I'm not an idiot, Crowley. He calls it insurance. Aziraphale calls it a suicide pill. That's not what I want it for. Crowley snaps, desperation and anger coalescing within him, but then Aziraphale says it. He uses that word, the same one hell did. Fraternizing. And Crowley gapes at him, feeling his temper and something far uglier pull taut inside him. The thing snaps. I have lots of people to fraternize with, Angel. He spits the words like venom. 
Aziraphale is shaking, looking angry and hurt when he has no right to be. Yes, I know you do. With that, he turns his back and Crowley storms home where he goes to bed and doesn't get up until 20 years later. When he does, he wishes he hadn't. Some of his anger and disappointment have cooled off, as per the effects of a good nap. In higher spirits, Crowley sets out to find Aziraphale again. Perhaps two decades have been enough for the angel to calm down as well and properly hear Crowley out this time. The first sign of something gone wrong is when Crowley finds Aziraphale's bookshop that the angel had worked so hard to open for decades, dark and empty. It's evening already and long past dinner time. Aziraphale never leaves the shop at this time of night unless it was with Crowley before their fight. At first, panic tightens its noose around Crowley's throat. He remembers being dragged down to hell and accused of fraternizing with the enemy. For a moment, he fearfully wonders if heaven has finally caught on and recalled Aziraphale, punished him. No, no. Forcing himself to calm down, Crowley concentrates and, yes, he can feel it. Aziraphale's ethereal aura faint but on the earthly plane of existence. The angel is still here. Turning his back on the bookshop, Crowley focuses on Aziraphale's essence and begins to walk. Confusion is the first thing he feels when his senses lead him to Portland Place, a feeling that increases with every step he takes until he reaches his destination. It takes all of a minute for Crowley to discern what kind of place this is, and when he does, the thought of Aziraphale in there makes him stop breathing. It takes even less time than that to slip inside. To heaven with this place being the most exclusive gentleman's club this side of England. If Crowley wants in, he's in. As he makes his way in, pulling invisibility around him and stifling his aura, Crowley finds himself hoping, hoping that he won't see what he suspects that he will see. This is Aziraphale, though. Crowley doesn't know why he is here, but this is Aziraphale, and he's not the sort of being to... He is. Crowley stops dead in his tracks, invisible in every sense, in a room bustling with affluent men and one angel smoking cigars, sipping brandy and flirting. The angel is not smoking or drinking, but he is... Frozen, 
Crowley watches Aziraphale smile at the flame-haired gentleman who is leaning into his side, his head dipped low to speak intimately in the angel's ear. He sees the brush of fingers over a soft hand. An invitation. The flame-haired man begins to walk away, throwing a pointed look over his shoulder. Aziraphale hesitates, his expression one of uncertainty and conflict. He follows. Crowley watches them leave the bustling main hall, disappearing down a corridor and into another room. The door shuts behind them with a meaningful click. Thirty seconds outside that room is all that he needs. He's a demon of lust. He senses certain things and he knows what's happening behind that door without having to look. He knows exactly what Aziraphale, the angel who wanted to be his lover and begged Crowley to be his, is doing. Crowley leaves. He leaves the club, leaves Portland Place, leaves his angel. Aziraphale is not the only one who knows where to find closeted queer men to fuck. Crowley thinks to himself with a sneer, the blood roaring in his ears. In less than an hour, he checks into a cheap hotel with a middle-aged, fair-haired man in tow. Crowley doesn't ask for his name. He doesn't ask for Crowley's. The man looks nervous but awestruck, while Crowley makes quick work of their clothes, allowing him to take the lead. He is fit and handsome, but he is... He doesn't feel right at all, Crowley thinks, as he manhandles him towards the bed. His blonde hair is the wrong shade and his hazel eyes and slim hips are nearly enough to make Crowley's erection wilt. The man tries to kiss him. Crowley spins him around and shoves him face down onto the bed. You lie there. I don't want you to make a sound, do you hear? Yes, he says uncertainly. What did I just say? Crowley hisses, shoving a lubricated finger in his ass without preamble. The man doesn't say anything else, but he can't keep quiet when Crowley finally pushes in. Crowley doesn't berate him again, but he holds him down with a firm hand between his shoulder blades. He is not gentle with him. He is not careful. Crowley pounds the man into the mattress, fucking him through three orgasms, each more painful than the one before, but he doesn't stop. He's not even close. The man takes it all without complaint. Crowley's cock is aching, his eyes are aching, and something else deep inside is aching, too. 
He blocks out the man's wails of pleasure and squeezes his eyes shut, thinking of hair the color of sunshine glinting off snowdrops, eyes bluer than cloudless summer skies, a soft body with the perfect amount of padding and hot silken walls that hug his prick just right. Angel! Crowley gasps, nearly driving the man into the headboard as he finally comes. Silence descends quickly when the moment passes. As soon as he catches his breath, Crowley pulls out and leaves the stranger on the bed. Who is Angel? The man is sitting up, looking curiously his way. Crowley shoves his legs into his trousers, not bothering to answer. Can I see you again? I think we can help each other. At that, he stops and stares. The blond man smiles sadly at him. I suppose you could say I have an angel too. He doesn't know how I feel and he... He's getting married in a month. He can never be mine. The man looks down at his lap for a long moment, clenching his fists before he looks back up at Crowley. So how about it? We get together now and then and you can pretend I'm your angel and I'll pretend you're mine. Crowley regards him, trying to imagine a repeat performance of tonight fucking some poor substitute and forcing out a weak orgasm. He finishes dressing and stalks to the door. Going back to sleep. When Crowley wakes up the next time, the world has gone to hell. Twice. He rolls his eyes. Figures. Humans always know how to fuck themselves over worse than any demon can plan. Sitting up in bed, he is flooded with memories from the last several hours he was awake. He considers going back to sleep. But the sirens overhead are loud and he can't avoid his duties forever. With a sigh, Crowley reluctantly drags himself out of bed, familiarizes himself with just how much shit the humans have succeeded in throwing at the fan and then steps out to help make it worse. While he's at it, he sends a memo to Hell, shamelessly taking credit for starting what is apparently the second... Second? World War. And just like that, his inactivity over the past 80 years is immediately wiped clean from his infernal slate. Crowley goes to work. Over the next several months, while he infiltrates British counterintelligence, Crowley fleetingly thinks of Aziraphale. He can sense the other's ethereal aura, close enough to discern that he is still in London and calm enough to indicate he is safe, even among all this shit. 
More than once, Crowley considers popping by. Then he remembers the club and the flame-haired man. Crowley sticks to war. It's easier to deal with. But then, of course, the angel goes and gets himself in trouble. Crowley should have seen it coming a mile away. Aziraphale is a danger magnet and they are in the middle of a fucking world war. When word reaches him of the special book deal and double crossing that is to go down, Crowley considers for all of five seconds just staying out of it. It's not his bloody problem and Aziraphale can deal with a few decades of paperwork upstairs. Then those five seconds pass and Crowley is standing in front of a church, listening to the distant wail of sirens. Of course it has to be a fucking church. Blessing under his breath, Crowley stomps inside. There is no way he can pull off a miracle of such magnitude with his focus continually derailed by his burning feet. Thrice blessed, consecrated ground. He shoves the task of saving both of their skins into Aziraphale's hands. Thankfully, the angel's trusting naivete, which nearly got him shot in the face a few minutes ago, is not a fair reflection of his cleverness. He gets Crowley's message and delivers perfectly. Right before the bomb's impact, Crowley catches sight of the bag of Aziraphale's books there in the clutches of that shite man. He receives a split second to focus his energy. The church blows to smithereens around them. As the smoke begins to clear and Crowley's feet finally cool down, he is faced with Aziraphale properly for the first time tonight. The angel is aglow in the ambience of the little fires burning all around them and somehow soft-looking even amidst the destruction. Behind him is an eagle lectern, its lopsided wings ablaze, framing Aziraphale as if they were his own. Fallen angel. The thought rises, unbidden, in Crowley's mind. Aziraphale is staring at him, blue eyes wide and hands fumbling with his hat. His lips part, as if to speak, but no sound comes out. Crowley pushes the heavy bag of books into Aziraphale's arms, causing him to drop the hat. Lift home, he offers, his voice devoid of emotion. Aziraphale doesn't reply, gazing down at his books in mute shock. Slowly, he looks up and Crowley starts at the sheen of tears in his eyes. Without a word, Aziraphale drops the bag onto the rubble. 
And then, with eagle wings burning at his back, he reaches for Crowley, gently removing his dark glasses to kiss him soundly on the mouth. I love you. The confession, low and trembling, is whispered against his lips. Crowley opens his eyes, meeting Aziraphale's, which are so close they are out of focus. I love you, he repeats, and wraps his arms around Crowley's neck and kisses him again, his lips soft and warm and passionate. Crowley's mind is reeling, trying to process what is happening and those impossible words Aziraphale just uttered. He doesn't quite understand the point of Aziraphale's confession, but he understands the point of kissing. Especially when Aziraphale parts his lips and licks across the seam of Crowley's mouth. The invitation... The demand is crystal clear. He is pressed flush against Crowley's body, solid and plush in his arms. And fuck, it has been so goddamn long. Crowley might have been asleep for the better part of a century, but he feels the weight of their separation. Faintly, it occurs to him that he has a reason for being angry with Aziraphale, but the angel's tongue is in his mouth, and he can't spare a single thought to anything else right now. Aziraphale is warm and real, and Crowley is already starting to feel overheated, his body reacting to the angel's touch. I love you. Aziraphale whispers again between their heated kisses. I've missed you. Oh, how I've missed you. So much. His hands pull at Crowley's jacket, the movements impatient and oh so familiar. Please, he says against his lips. I want you, darling. Right now and he pulls Crowley down to the ground right there in the middle of the destroyed church. Angel! Crowley grunts in surprise, but Aziraphale holds him close on top of him. They end up with Aziraphale on a slab of the ruined wall, Crowley knelt between his legs. Drawing him into another ardent kiss, Aziraphale reaches between them to fumble with Crowley's trousers. Crowley begins to pull away, still struggling to orient himself with the situation, but Aziraphale makes a keening sound of protest, looking up imploringly with dazed blue eyes. Please! He repeats, his voice softer this time, but no less saturated with desire and emotion. Make love to me. How long has it been since he last heard those words? 
With a shuddering exhale, Crowley undoes his belt, rips down his zipper and shoves his trousers down enough to free his cock. With deft hands, he tugs off Aziraphale's brogues and pulls both his trousers and underwear off his legs, leaving him only in his tartan socks and garters. Resuming their ferocious kiss, Crowley slides a hastily lubricated hand into the cleft of Aziraphale's arse. He stills, taken aback, when his fingers find Aziraphale's hole already slicked. Aziraphale meets his gaze heatedly, a lovely flush blooming on his face. Please, I need you. With a hiss, Crowley is on him, palming his cock desperately before pressing the head between Aziraphale's cheeks. Aziraphale arches his back, moaning with anticipation even before he is breached. His voice breaks when Crowley slides inside him, his prepared hole stretching easily around his prick. Oh, Crowley! Aziraphale cries out, grabbing him around the shoulders. Oh, yes, yes, give me more, darling. Oh, oh, I've missed you so much. He breaks off when Crowley begins to rock into him, the movements of their hips fluid and speaking to the thousands of years they have spent doing this. Within moments, Aziraphale's legs are locked around him, urging him deeper and harder. His eyes flutter with pleasure as Crowley gradually picks up the pace, thrusting his cock steadily into the angel's heat. Crowley's breath is already coming hard and fast. He groans at the familiar feeling of Aziraphale's supple walls yielding to his cock, hugging him warm and so, so tight. Only you, darling, Aziraphale is moaning, canting his hips to meet Crowley's. It could only be you. What about me? Crowley grunts, bracing himself on his forearms to drive in deeper. Aziraphale keens with pleasure at the new angle. My, my books. You saved my books. You remembered. Only you would ever think of me so. Crowley takes the sin thinking back to his split-second decision on the books. Aziraphale wraps his arms around his neck again. Only you. It could only be you. My darling, my love. It's the my love that does it. Crowley looks down at Aziraphale, lying needy and wanton on the broken ground under him, and he remembers. Am I your love? He asks in a low voice, grinding into the angel. Yes, Aziraphale moans. 
You were Crowley, my one and only. Did you say all those pretty words when he fucked you as well? Crowley hisses. Eyes flying open, Aziraphale gapes up at him. What? He chokes. Crowley punctuates every thrust with words forced through gritted teeth. My love, my darling, he repeats mockingly, the aching feeling from that night building inside him again. Was that how you rewarded him too? Why so confused, Angel? Or did you fuck so many men in that club you can't even remember them? Abruptly, understanding dawns. You were there that night, Aziraphale whispers. Before Crowley can speak another word, he says, It was just him, just the one I didn't. There weren't any others. Did he make you feel good, Angel? Crowley growls, thrusting hard enough to make Aziraphale cry out. Did he fill up your greedy little ass the way you like? Did he fuck you for hours? Crowley! Did you scream his name? I left. Aziraphale cries, and Crowley stops, buried in him. Yes, I went with him, but I... It wasn't... It wasn't right. He didn't feel right. Aziraphale is trembling, his eyes wet again. His hair was red, but it was too bright, and his eyes were the wrong colour. He... He wasn't you, so I left. Crowley's arms are shaking with the effort of holding himself up, threatening to give out with the sheer relief flooding him. You left him? I did. Crowley briefly thinks back to the blonde man he had picked up out of anger and vengeance that same night. Did he penetrate you, Angel? Only at first, Aziraphale admits. But it wasn't. A tear finally escapes, shimmering in the firelight as it rolls down. I couldn't stop thinking about you. I kept wishing it was you. So I left. With a hum... Crowley cups Aziraphale's face gently and kisses away the tear. Aziraphale leans into his touch at once, clinging to his shoulders. I'm so terribly sorry about our fight before. I said things I didn't mean. Did you mean what you said tonight? Crowley asks quietly nosing at his cheek. That you love me. I did, and I do. I have since... 
since even before the first time we made love. Crowley stills, his eyes widening, as it all suddenly clicks. Aziraphale has been in love with him for millennia, since before he even made the decision to give his body to the demon. No wonder he didn't fall. For Aziraphale, this has never been a submission to lust. Make love to me. That's what he always says, isn't it? Crowley has just never given deep thought to the implications before. He chokes down a disbelieving laugh. Hell is never going to get Aziraphale. He can tell Beelzebub and Huster that he's seducing an angel all he likes, but that's not what any of this is to Aziraphale. Crowley gazes down at the earnest blue eyes, thinking carefully. If he is to pass the implications of this, a love relationship for Aziraphale means Crowley's companionship and fidelity, things that he has already been giving Aziraphale for centuries before their fight. Aziraphale's confession changes nothing in the grand scheme, really. It only further cements what he already is. Crowley's. And that is a fact that has long been carved into stone. So Crowley kisses him, soft and sweet enough that it seems to be saying, I love you too, and then deep and filthy to seal the deal. Aziraphale is his. He has become his willingly, and Crowley drinks the sweetness of it from his lips. But when he fucks Aziraphale, it is not sweet this time. He fucks him hard, wiping away the presence of anyone else who has been here, where they had no right to be. He fucks him raw, leaving behind reminders, painful and branding, of precisely to whom Aziraphale belongs. Aziraphale embraces all of it with a resounding cry of Crowley's name, a scream of utter rapture amid the burning remains of a place that was once a little bit of heaven. Once they are dressed and proper again, Crowley drops off Fuzzy Raphael at the bookshop, but declines his invitation to come in for a drink. Still got some work to do, Angel. Namely, hunting down the superiors of those Germans who put a target on Aziraphale. The angel looks disappointed. Will you come back sometime? Sometime, Crowley assures him and kisses the disappointed pout off Aziraphale's lips. I love you. Aziraphale breathes again when they part. 
Hmm. Crowley hums non-committally, unsure of how he is supposed to respond. During the ride to Soho, he's had some time to think a bit more on it, and, well, Crowley is pretty certain that Aziraphale must be aware that he, as a demon, can't exactly... Does the angel expect him to say those words back? Before he can say anything, though, Aziraphale says, his voice suddenly low, I'm sorry about that man from the club. I never meant to hurt you. Crowley waves it off. None of that now. It's in the past. And I'm sorry about our fight from... from before that. Aziraphale looks anxious, aware that he is leading them into troubled waters again. Crowley, I can't... I can't lose you. These past eighty years were torment enough. The thought of your destruction at the hands of holy water... I can't bear it. I hope you understand why I refused you, darling. But that's just the thing, isn't it? Says Crowley, keeping his tone sombre and hurt. You refused me. Aziraphale's eyes widen. My love, as I said... I've never asked anything of you, sweetheart. Crowley puts the slightest emphasis on the endearment. All these thousands of years, and that insurance was my one request, and you said no. Crowley, please. But hey, hey, it doesn't matter now. Crowley pulls Aziraphale into his arms and kisses his temple. It's all right. Aziraphale tries to speak again, but Crowley shushes him with a long kiss to his lips. Good night, Angel. Go on in now, and don't you worry your pretty noggin over this holy water business. From the look Aziraphale gives him, Crowley knows that he will worry. A lot. A lot.